0: Well, good morning, and as we continue together today on our journey through the gospel according to Matthew, I want to remind you, those of you who are listening here, those of you who are watching in Fellowship Hall, and those of you who are watching at home, the purpose of why we gather and listen to God's word. We listen to God's word to hear his word proclaimed to us in law and gospel to recognize our need as sinners, and to hear the promises of God offered to us in forgiveness through Jesus Christ. This is why we gather. And this is why, as we have been diving into the gospel according to Luke, or excuse me, according to Matthew, over the course of this summertime, we have been continuing to see a revelation of who Jesus is who it is that comes to declare to us our forgiveness, who it is that has been revealed as the Messiah and the true King of Israel and the King of the world, the King who has come, the King who is coming, and the King who will come again. That's what Matthew is all about, revealing these things to us. But not only that, As we have been working our way through and seeing this revelation of who Jesus is as Messiah and King, we are also then learning just what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he is establishing. And today especially, we are going to hear from our Lord and Savior Jesus as he shares with us powerful words from a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you right away, open up to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18. We're going to begin right at the very beginning of this chapter. This is an important passage of Scripture because it is both very revealing and often very misunderstood. (laughs) I hope that today, as we listen to the Lord, He will help to bring clarity to us and remind us of who He is. So let's begin reading together in Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Let's pause right there. Who is the greatest? It's a question that we ask all the time. Constantly, as we sort things out. Let me give you some examples and see if you can play along with me. Who is the greatest quarterback of all time? Tom Brady or Joe Montana? You don't have to answer, but you can think about it. (laughs) Who is the greatest classical composer of all time? Beethoven or Mozart? Who is the greatest prize fighter of all time? Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali? Who is the greatest painter of all time, Vincent van Gogh or Michelangelo? Or who is the greatest NBA player of all time, and why is it Michael Jordan? (laughs) We ask these kind of questions all the time, right? We're sorting it out. We've got our different preferences and opinions about who and why, but we sort these things out in our minds. We size each other up. We size up those people who we idolize, those who we look up to in whatever field it is that they may be working in or playing in. It's a natural thing. And so when the question is asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom there's only one answer that should pop into any of our heads. The king! Jesus, right? I mean, is there any other answer to this question, really? Who is the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus? Well, the king is the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus is the king. And he could have ended the lesson right there and just said, hey, you're looking at him, end of story, thus endeth the lesson, let's move on. But, of course, Jesus doesn't. Because Jesus is revealing a very different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that looks nothing like the kingdoms that we are so drawn to or that we so often observe throughout history or even in the present day. Who is the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus? And Jesus says, uh, hey, little boy, come here. Might have been a little girl. Come here. Come sit on my lap. Here they are. A child. Makes absolutely no sense. I've got some new neighbors. They've only been in our neighborhood for a little over a year now. And they've got four little boys. Eleven Ten, nine, and 7. And their names are Hanad, Hamza, Samir, and Harun. And as you might have guessed, they're not from the United States originally. They're from Kenya. Four full of energy little boys. And like any wise father, <laughs> our next-door neighbor bought them a basketball hoop stuck it out in their driveway, lowered the height down to give these boys something to do. And as I sat and watched them, they have no idea what to do. (laughs) They've got a basketball, they've got lots of energy, and they hurl and fling that basketball up at that hoop randomly, haphazardly, with virtually no chance of it actually going into the hoop. I observed this for a while, (laughs) and then I thought, here's an opportunity to get to know the boys. So I went out, stopped over, said, hi, guys. They immediately kind of looked at me like any young boys would look at the new neighbor who's coming over. I just said, hey, I see you got a new basketball hoop. That's super cool. Well, that's all it took. Oh yes, yes, we got a new hoop. Well, hey, can I can I show you? So I I took that basketball, got off in my position, set up for the best set shot that I could make. Why? Because this body don't jump. <laughs> took two or three times, but I got it in. And went over to another corner and shot another one and got that one in. Now they're amazed. Now they want to show me how they can do it. They want to learn how they can do it. And now the fun begins. They start asking questions about all sorts of things. Hi, how long have you been living next door? Do you have kids in your house too? I said, yes, mine are grown and they're very big. (laughs) Wow. We talked and we chatted and it was great. It was so much fun. They were helpless at trying to get that basketball into the hoop. But it didn't matter didn't matter at all because you see that's the thing these boys needed a little help and they knew they needed a little help and they weren't the least bit embarrassed that somebody would come over and show them how to do something and you see that's the thing about children and that's the thing that God is trying to get through to us through Jesus in this example The old adage that God helps those who help themselves is completely wrong. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who know they can't help themselves. When it comes to things of the Spirit when it comes to things of being a part of God's kingdom that he desires all to be a part of, when it comes to dealing with our sin and our brokenness, God understands something that sometimes we so often fail to understand ourselves, which is you can't help yourself. You can't fix yourself. You are a sinner, and so am I. And God comes To offer us his help. And not just any help. But the best help, the only help we need. Jesus himself given for us and revealed to us. Jesus is revealing in this child who he has brought up to him something so important, something so critical for us to understand. And that is the greatest people in the kingdom are those who recognize their greatest need is Jesus. That's what the heart of a child is. Is to recognize that our greatest need is Jesus. And by Jesus taking a child and elevating a child into that stature, he's also saying something else. Because you see, children were not those people of stature. Children didn't have any power. Children didn't have any vote. Children could do nothing for themselves and couldn't even advocate for themselves in the time of Jesus. These were the outsiders. These were the less-thans. These were the, the, not the people of power at all. And Jesus says, here's the ones who are in my kingdom. They're like these little children. And if you want to be a part of this kingdom, become like one of them. Such a powerful, powerful message But Jesus isn't done yet. Jesus isn't done yet. Because then he continues on in verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell." Well, that escalated quickly. We went from Jesus talking about children to stories of millstones and maiming. What is Jesus up to? Well, first of all, important thing to understand this is called hyperbole. And it's a technique. It's a a way of speaking and talking that was very common in Jesus' time, continues to be common in some circles that we often miss. It's hyperbole. Jesus is saying something in the absolute extreme in order to make his point and drive his point home. And what point is he trying to drive home? Well, certainly Jesus is talking about protecting the most vulnerable, without a doubt. That is absolutely something that you can read in this section when Jesus is talking about taking care of little children and not doing anything to lead them into harm or lead them into sin. Without a doubt, Jesus is speaking that. But he's saying something more here too. He is driving home a kingdom principle because he's talking about his kingdom. And this is what he is saying. Don't put anything between Jesus and the people he has come to save. Do not put anything between Jesus and the people he has come to save. The term that's used here is is a stumbling block. There are tripping hazards that we have in our own lives, and there are tripping hazards that we sometimes put in front of other people to trip them up. Sometimes we do it unintentionally. Sometimes we do it very purposely. And there were a group of people in the time of Jesus who did this all the time. And we've talked about them before, and even though Jesus isn't specifically talking about them here, he definitely knows they're around, and he definitely knows their tendencies and their influence. This is the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were the religious rule keepers. The religious rule keepers. And these religious rule keepers were always trying to find ways to trip up Jesus. If you've been following along in this sermon series, you've heard them try. When Jesus is out there with his disciples and they're walking along on the fields of wheat and, and grabbing wheat out of the fields, and the, the, the Pharisees are the first ones looking look at it and go, Oh, no, 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 you're breaking the rules. You're breaking the rules. Be like us, don't break the righteousness rules. Oh, how come your your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? Ceremonially like the rest of us do, Jesus. You know, that's wrong. They should be doing this. And if they're not doing this, then they're not doing it right. Throwing religious rules in front of people to trip them up. And the thing is this, the very rules that they put in place to be considered righteous were the biggest barriers to God's grace and salvation being received by God's people. See, this is a way of sorting people out to define who's going to be in and who's going to be out. And those who throw out the tripping hazards love to do this. You think about it as a race. If you were running along in a race and you're, you're, you're neck and neck with the person next to you and you throw something in front of them so that you can look back and go, Ah, see? See, they weren't as good as I am. These are the kind of tripping hazards that Jesus is talking about. And he's like, listen, there shouldn't be anything that you throw down in front of the people who I'm trying to reach that artificially creates a barrier between them and me. I'm here to help those who need help. I'm here to help those who, who maybe are struggling. I'm here to help those who are broken. I'm here to help and save and rescue and find them. Don't put things in the way. And he says it strongly and forcefully. Not only that, but if you've got things in your own life that are in the way, that are getting between you and the God who wants to save you and rescue you, Cut them off. Cut them out. That's why Jesus is using such strong language. Because this is really important. Because you see, friends, God is absolutely committed to finding and rescuing people so they can become part of His eternal family. That's His point, that's His purpose. That's why He came to seek and save the lost. And he is vigilant about this, passionate about this. And we can see this passion come out as he finishes off this part of the story. Let's finish reading now as we continue on. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. See, Jesus, again, turns an expectation upside down. When you think of a shepherd, where do you think the shepherd belongs? With his sheep, right? And frankly, with the bulk of them. Like, you know, I mean, really, if he's a good shepherd or a decent shepherd at all, it's like, well, he should should be where the biggest bulk of the sheep are. Taking care of them, watching over them, protecting them. But Jesus gives an image of saying, yes, they are there to protect the sheep. But you know what? If one is lost, if one is not a part of the group, if one has wandered off, the priority of the shepherd is not to sit back and be like, ah, you win some, you lose some. No. The perspective of the shepherd is to say, hey, you know what? I know it's a risk, but I think these sheep are going to be fine. i got to go find the one that's missing. i got to go find the one that's lost. i got to go find the one that might be stuck in a ditch somewhere, the one that might be hurt. I've got to go find that sheep, and I will do whatever it takes to find them, and I will leap over any barrier, and I will climb over any fence, and I will climb down into whatever pit I've got to climb down into to find them and rescue them. And don't get in my way. Because I want to find them. And when I find them, I want to rescue them. And I'm going to celebrate that I found them and bring them back into the fold. Friends, Jesus is defining an attitude and a posture. For his kingdom. Jesus is not on the inside keeping others out. He's on the outside bringing others in. This is the heart of the shepherd. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the King, the King who commands us. He sorts things differently than we do. And as well he should. And thank you, Jesus, that you do. Because it means that bumbling, broken people like me can be a part. Not defined by how good I am or how many good things I do. But defined by the goodness of a good shepherd who loves me and saves me and rescues me because I need rescuing, friends. Every day. Every single day. So the question that remains is what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church of insiders hoping those people figure it out and find their way in? Or will we be a church of outsiders seeking others out and helping others in? See, I believe that what God has done throughout the ages in this church, through shepherds who go way back (laughs) and through people whom you have known, some of whom have gone on to their eternal reward, is shaping a community of grace of people who recognize their own brokenness and are willing to do whatever it takes to clear the barriers out of the way so that the lost sheep can be found and can be brought home. That's the kind of king that we serve. It's the kind of kingdom that he is forming. It's the one that he invites us to be in. And I trust and believe by the work of the Holy Spirit, he is shaping that in you as he shapes that in me. In a world that is so interested in sorting people into their categories of in and out and loved and hated, we have a father who just wants us to be his children and wants every one of them to be welcomed into his kingdom and into his forgiveness and into his grace and into his eternal life. That's our mission. Jesus makes us family and there are parts of the family who aren't here. You know who they are. Some of them are children of your own whom you have ached over that they're not here. God hears you. God knows them. And he is out searching for them. Trust in his promise. Don't let anything get in the way of Jesus and the people who he wants to save because that includes you, who he has come to save and make his own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us into a life, and you have called us into a family. And just by nature of your son Jesus, who teaches us to pray out to you with the words our father lord we know that this family is good and it's not good because of any of us children (laughs) and it's not great because some of us are are great at what we do or great at following you now it is only great because of your great love It is only great because you take broken people and make them whole. It is only great because you have revealed through Jesus that our greatest need is Him. May we always have a childlike faith. May we always be your people, Lord, looking for the broken and the marginalized and those who feel like they're on the outside, to speak those words of grace and welcome that only you can speak, Jesus. Which is to say, no, you are my beloved. You are the one who I died for. You are the one who I make room for. You are the one that I seek to bring into this family. Thank you, Jesus, for that reminder today, for the hope that we live into. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.